Hello there, my friends. This is Spencer Michelle, and today we're going to be talking about the full moon lunar eclipse in Taurus 3. And I'm very pleased to be joined by my good friend, Michael Bryan, today. How are you doing, Michael? Hey, Spencer. I'm doing pretty great. How are you? I'm great. This is fantastic. I, I first met Michael at UAC 2018 mm -hmm. and was just very impressed with his knowledge and acumen overall. And we just had some nice conversations there. And it's so so amazing to have you here on the on the show today. So so welcome, my friend. I'm I'm really happy to be here, Spencer, and I'm really happy for the invitation. So thank you so much. Yeah. So so Michael, tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey with astrology. I know that you have uh, some really exciting things that you've been working on. I, I see you as a bit of a, a Renaissance man, uh, which I, I really appreciate. So tell us tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, awesome. So I have I have been uh, into mysticism and astrology and Kabbalah and tarot for most of my life. And I think that my actual starting point when I have to say a date when things started would have been in 2005, which is quite a while ago now. And uh, I was I was still a kid. I was still in high school. Well, primary school at the time, transitioning into high school. And I got into everything all at once. I got into astrology and tarot and the runes and the I Ching and all of these things really fell into my life because I think that like a lot of young people, I was really interested in Harry Potter. I, I, was, I was a Harry Potter nerd. And, <laughs> and so I was trying to find a way to create uh, an, an actual tangible touchstone of magic in my life. I, I knew that there was no teleporting through walls or no waving a wand and causing something to fly across the room. So I, I wanted to find what is there within this magical world that I could partake of. And astrology was really and truly my first touchstone of tangible magic. And like I said, the tarot happened around the same time. And, and I'm fortunate because the, the books and the training that I essentially gave myself through my youth from preteens into teens into young adulthood was fundamentally books on classical approaches to astrology and classical approaches to Kabbalah and Hermeticism. And so what ended up getting created within myself and within my practice was this was this approach to astrology that was heavily Kabbalistic mm -hmm. and also heavily tarot based and also heavily rooted within the larger uh, teachings of the Corpus Hermeticum. And I'm so grateful for that because I my first introduction to modern astrology was at UAC. Mm -hmm. I, I never I never knew, you know, my in coming into astrology, I knew the Chaldean order, Saturn, Jupiter, Mars, Sun, Venus, Mercury, Moon. It never occurred to me as a child growing up that there were people who thought that Pluto ruled Scorpio or Neptune ruled Pisces. And, mm -hmm. and I met all these people at UAC. I, I met all these people at UAC and it really um it, it was extraordinary and also nerve wracking because for me it was, you know, have I been doing this wrong all this time? And I'm, I'm really happy about that UAC experience because it, it showed me that there are all of these different paths that people take into astrology. Mm. And I was also happy to see the heavy traditional astrology contingent at UAC because um, unwittingly that has always been my personal orientation. That's really fascinating to see that you come from that background to start because a lot of times it's opposite people will get introduced mm -hmm. to modern astrology and then come to the tradition later um mm -hmm. yeah one of the books that 
is really, I think I've heard you talk about this book before, but The Moment of Astrology by Jeffrey Cornelius. I'm, that one really like opened my, my brain back up because I went from modern astrology to traditional to like sort of like, I don't know, not necessarily a hybrid, but more of a, a realization that the chart is an oracle and, mm -hmm. and that there are lots of different ways up the mountain and allowed me to like bring more of like the tarot influence and and utilizing the I Ching and not feeling guilty about those things. Um, so it, it's it's really fascinating to get that perspective. Uh, and and you do you do all sorts of stuff. You you do yoga, right? You're a yoga instructor. I I, I do. You know, I'm a I'm a very Saturnian person. You and I were speaking about <laughs> about my chart earlier. So another piece is that I'm a very Saturnian person, and so the the system of yoga that I practice is a traditional. A, a traditional system of yoga. So even modern yoga, I've never really been a modern yoga person. I'm a traditional yoga practitioner and I, I teach, I'm a certified Iyengar yoga teacher. And that for me, you know, I, I come from a background, a journalism background. That's my, that's what my undergrad is. And I'm a broadcast journalist by profession. Right. And then while I was doing my undergrad, I also put myself through dance school and so I've always had this, this embodied sense of, of needing to be in my body and of needing to move and of realizing that there must be some mystical bridge between the body as well as the tarot that I was studying and the hermeticism that I was studying and the astrology and the yiching and all of these things. I, I felt as if there must be that bridge somewhere. Mm -hmm. And what I found in yoga was an actual bridging for that. Because one of the things that people have said is that, or that a lot of scholars have said is that hermeticism is the yoga of the West. Mm. And I kept on seeing that come up so much within the context of my own studies that I said, well, hell, I need to go and find out more about yoga by itself. Yeah. And, and so in 2005, I also, in coming into astrology and tarot and all of those things, shortly after I also came into Iyengar yoga, which is the, the system of yoga that I teach today. And it completely blew my mind because here I had a book of the yoga poses, the yoga asanas, the actual physical practice, but the introduction to the book Light on Yoga by our guru, BKS Iyengar, is him laying down the spiritual foundations of the entire system of yoga. And in doing that, it felt as if the yoga practice was connected into something a lot bigger. It felt as if the yoga practice was also a part of some larger cosmic religion. And I already felt as if astrology was doing that. So what I, what I say to people is that on the surface, it seems like a lot of different things. Like I've done a lot of different things, but ultimately all the things I do tie back into the core of one unified system. Sure. And I, I feel as if my spiritual practice needs a physical practice for me to ground myself in. And so my yoga practice keeps me sane. Because I've, I've told, I've said this a number of times in interviews that I feel as if looking at the sky too much, you know, only focusing on what's going on in the sky, it drives people crazy. Yeah. And, and so as we look into antiquity, we see that people who practice astrology also had other well-rounded parts of themselves. I know that you, for example, are a musician. And I think that that's so amazing because we need to have something else that we do that keeps us grounded within a physical experience because looking at the sky too much, it drives you crazy. 
so yes, I, I I do teach yoga and I do teach a couple other stuff, but but the yoga is a really important part of my astrological practice as well. I, I agree 100%. And I think that's what makes you probably the perfect guest for today uh, with our eclipse with uh, the, the sun in Scorpio and the moon in Taurus and kind of that the opposition of maybe body and spirit or, or some of those inclinations towards those directions. So um, yeah, I'm looking at the chat box over here, Michael, and we've got some people joining us. Uh, we, we always have a very international crowd here today. And you're, you're originally from the Bahamas, is that correct? I'm, I'm originally from the Bahamas. I'm in Boston at the moment. My, my partner lives in Boston, so I've, I've taken up residence in Boston for the time being. But yes, I'm, I'm a Bahamian, I'm a Bahamian, Jamaican, Cuban situation. Awesome. Yeah, so that's, that's my heritage. Yeah, we've got people joining us from the Netherlands, from Finland. Uh, we've got some New Yorkers here. Uh, Andrea's joining us from Croatia. This is so cool. Uh, Toronto, Canada, Asheville, North Carolina. I just, I love seeing um, all the people joining us from all the corners of Amazing. the earth here. So awesome. All right. So um, where can we find you, Michael? Where, where do, can we find your services? And do you have anything coming up in the hopper uh, in the next little bit here? You can find everything you need to know about me from oraculosastrology.com, and that is O-R-A-C-U-L-O-S, oraculosastrology.com. And I have a school, the Oraculo School of Astrology, where I teach a comprehensive program in the foundations of classical astrology, which includes horary and natal and electional and mundane. Uh, and ultimately, I'm also a Uranian astrologer as well, which is something that I, I haven't really spoken that much about recently because I've been asked to, to give lectures more and more in different aspects of traditional astrology. But I'm also a Uranian astrologer. And so my students at Oraculos receive a full education in classical astrology. But ultimately, should they choose to go on to higher levels of study, we also interlope uh, or weave in Uranian astrology and cosmobiology because I genuinely think that those are the that is the shape of the astrology of the future. So if you want to find out anything about me, you want to book a reading or anything, you could visit my website at oraculosastrology.com. And one more thing, mm -hmm. um, I, I have a book club. Uh, I recently started a mystical book club, an OSA, Oraculo School of Astrology Mystical Book Club. And right now we're moving through the Corpus Hermeticum, which is a book that I've spent a great chunk of my own childhood reading. And uh, it, it's a wonderful book. Uh, the version that we're actually using is this one uh called the way of the way of hermes and oh, cool very that's cool there and this is by this is by clement salaman so if anyone is interested in in really the the philosophical the spiritual philosophical structure upon which classical astrology is built then please join our book club we meet bi-weekly uh, it's a 90-minute book club and we've been having so much fun in in doing the reading I love a good book club. I'm a, I'm a bit of a bibliophile myself, so that sounds amazing. So check out uh, Michael's website and his book club, and he's an excellent teacher, and you, you have a, an awesome podcast too. You, I've seen some really just amazing guests that you've had on there and been very impressed with, with those interviews and all the different types of topics that you all explore there. So make sure that you go and support Michael on his channels, on his website. Um, yeah. And and if we're getting all the the uh, shameless plugs out of the way in the beginning, I, I, 
I also do have a Decans of Sagittarius webinar that's coming up on the 11th of December. And there is a link for that in the description of this video here if you want to sign up. There is an early bird rate where you can get 20% off. I'm also offering the fall bundle still that will give you an additional discount where you can get replays of the Decans of Libra and Scorpio as well sent along with the um, being able to join the Sagittarius webinar in person. So check that out. And then one other thing I wanted to alert all of you to is uh, my lovely partner, Tanya Andrews, who you, some of you may be familiar with, has launched her, um, she has a, a Hoodoo uh, Materia website over Etsy. It's called Third Coast Mojo. And I have put a link to that in the description of the video here as well. She just did some uh, Venus oils uh, that were ritually elected during Libra season. So check those out. They're really cool. Um, they've been helping me to focus during some of these challenging times. And um, yeah, she's a, she's a great practitioner as well. And I think that you might find some interesting stuff there. Okay. We got through it. We got through all the, <laughs> the business. Yeah, definitely did. And I, I have to say, uh, Spencer, I'm, I'm really, you know, I'm, I, I'm really so impressed with your work as well. And I'm really impressed with, with your own uh, channel because I, I think UAC was a pivotal moment for the two of us. And I'm, I'm really so uh, proud to see the work that you've been doing as well. And also proud to see the fact that someone has chosen to take up uh, the the decanic work, as it were, and really fleshing that out because there's so much wealth of material there, and I'm I'm super happy to see you digging into that. So, oh, thank you, Michael. Now now you're playing into my Leo ascendant here with <laughs> flattery, which it works, by the way. Um, like, yeah, UAC was it was that was quite an experience, wasn't it? I mean, mm. that just completely cracked my brain open to the possibilities of doing this as a career. Um, I was just at the very beginning of my journey with traditional astrology at that point. And, you know, from from now, from then to now has been a, an amazing amount of downloads and a lot of work has gone into this, like you were saying. And I'm just so happy that we can get together on these these channels and be able to exchange wisdom and knowledge and and just help people. I mean, that's really what I got into this for was to really help people come into alignment with spirit and with the divine and mm -hmm. and ultimately to bring them some peace. And I think that I know that you're doing that on your channels and with the work that you're doing. And I hope that we're doing that here as well. So thank you, my friend, that that really fills my heart up. You're very right. Should we should we dive in? Yes, please. <clears throat> All right. So I'm going to share my screen. We're going to look at a chart of the uh, eclipse and Michael's going to share some things uh, later on in the presentation as well. You, you uh, recently did a presentation with the chart of America. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. So I, so within my traditional mundane work, I use the Aries ingress chart a lot. And okay. within my Uranian work, I use the Capricorn ingress chart. So I was on a panel uh, the other day uh, for the Astrology Hub talking about the the Pluto return of the United States of America. So that's right. really been uh, heavy in my mind moving forward. And so, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm still in that Aries ingress frame of mind, which also ties a great deal into this chart as well. Okay, cool. Well, we can, uh, we can spend some time with that too. I'm always really interested to see uh, different different perspectives on each of these kind of lunations and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So the first thing that we have here, um, 
actually, I wanted to toss this to you first, Michael. What, what, um, any initial big picture, broad spectrum thoughts on this eclipse? Well, the first thing, so for me, where I cast the chart from was for Washington, D.C., just because Washington as, as the capital of the U.S. is is really, you know, the place insofar as, insofar as my predictive work from a mundane perspective is concerned. So I cast a chart for Washington. And is Michigan close to Washington? Because this chart actually looks very similar. Yeah, to- it's still Eastern time zone but here i'll change it to washington dc and then we'll see the one that you are looking at here let's see there how's that does that look better yeah i mean i mean mean, yeah like like i said it it looks very similar it's it's a very similar chart um but with this chart the the first thing that kind of jumped out at me was the fact that it's happening in the second house from a mundane perspective, if we were to run this as an Aries ingress, um, it would be in the second house and it clearly is a second eighth house chart. And so the first thing that came up for me from a more mundane perspective was finances at this time. And when it comes to eclipses, we know that eclipses represent power surges. Mm -hmm. And we know that the ancients would essentially hide themselves from the rays of the eclipses because the thought was that the eclipse, the eclipses represented a malefic uh, time period. And I think that there's a lot about this particular chart that ties in to some of that uh, larger eclipse doctrine or some of that larger eclipse lore. And one of the things that we know about eclipses is that it represents a, a major insurge of energy, which ultimately, you know, here in this apartment that I'm in, I have a microwave that <laughs> that um, is on the same wall as my fridge. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's on the same wall as my fridge. And every time I try to warm something up in the microwave, it just tricks the, the breaker. And then the microwave turns off, the fridge turns off, that entire wall of electricity turns off. And truthfully, I view eclipses in the same way that is such a strong influx it's that it, it's a sudden turning on, which ultimately results in the sudden turning off, which can feel like a crash. And we know that no one actually likes to crash into anything. And that's why eclipses tend to have more of a malefic connotation, because mm-hmm. it is essentially the devouring of the sun and the moon by the dragon and that entire story that we can get into later. Yeah. So, so as, I, as I look at this, I mean, my, my first thoughts about this were um, just the monetary implications that it has for the United States of America, which is something that ties into the Aries ingress chart um, and some of the ways in which the Aries ingress chart for this coming um, Aries ingress essentially has a similar theme. Mm -hmm. So um, another part of eclipse lore is that when it comes to lunar eclipses, the length of time in terms of hours represents months. So uh, we know that this lunar eclipse is the longest lunar eclipse since I can't remember what the next last one was 1910 or something. And and then the next one is going to be like 200 years from now or something to that effect. But this this eclipse is going to be three hours, about three and a half hours long, essentially. So if you convert that to astrological time, that essentially goes to three and a half months or so. Okay. And so my thought about this uh, is really looking at the, the monetary state of America, looking at the monetary state of the government at this time and, and 
really being cognizant that there could be an implication here of a power surge in terms of the the monies of the nation, the value of the money of the nation, and also um, also knowing that you know that that's just the the broad strokes. You know, we also have the moon. Yeah. The moon is within range of, of her conjunction to Algol as well, and the moon is operating from the eighth house. And one of the things that I've noticed about the moon, um, about moon Algol connections in general, is we think that they should operate in a better way as a result of the moon being in her exaltation in Taurus. So we think that, you know, moon in Taurus is going to operate well everywhere throughout Taurus. Right. But one of the things that, um, ancient astrologers observed and even ancient Chinese astrologers observed was that the end of Taurus is essentially a landmine of, 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 pi of piled up corpses. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, <laughs> that's what they call it. Yeah. What the Chinese called it, isn't it? it exactly. Yeah. So it, it, it's a landmine of, of malefic fixed stars. Yeah. And, you know, Taurus is seen as being a mimed sign of the Zodiac because it's only a half of a bull, it's not the entire bull. So the end of Taurus really represents a period of great difficulty. Yeah, and with yeah. the moon here at 27 degrees of, of Taurus, also operating from the eighth house, which we know traditionally is a house of death, um, as well as death. I mean, there's a, a death situation that I wanna talk about as well, but it, it just further amplifies for me the, the reality that as we move forward, we are moving into a, a period of time where the, the financial market is really being pressured in a way that isn't really for the greater good of, of the country. I mean, there, there's, there's other implications in here, but I'm, I want to shut up and let you. Um, well, uh, you know, that, that brings me to the thought of the, the discussions that were recently being had in Congress about lifting the debt ceiling, right? And they, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that they kicked that can down the road for a deadline uh, at the next eclipse, which is like December the 4th, right? Where if we default on our, on raising the debt limit or the debt ceiling, we're going to be in some big, big trouble. And the world is going to be in some big trouble because that's going to throw financial markets into a, a tizzy, correct? Mm -hmm, definitely. And, you know, when it comes to eclipses, we usually look to the first square of the sun to the eclipse in order to be a predictive moment where the promise held within the eclipse comes to pass. Mm -hmm. And we use the sun and we use Mars as well. Either the sun or Mars can serve as a trigger for unlocking the, the potential or the promise that an eclipse holds. And we have both we have Mars coming to the square of this eclipse on December 9th. So it's interest, it's interesting that you that you mentioned um what was it that that Congress is going to do? What with the debt ceiling? Yeah, they, they have to vote on whether to raise the debt ceiling so that we can incur more debt. If we if they don't allow that, we default on the loans that we have to other countries. And then it's I don't understand it completely, but I know it's very bad. <laughs> you know, like that's that's my general understanding is that, you know, we have a certain amount of debt that we are allowing our government to have. And it mm -hmm. usually goes up often. And and they're they've been really arguing about not raising that debt ceiling. A, a lot of it has been sort of some threatening to get you know, things that they wanted passed or not passed. It's always this political posturing that is adding to these things, mm -hmm. um, but but if they don't raise that debt ceiling, um, 
that's going to be pretty bad news for for American um, finances. And and I'm I'm really curious to see the chart that you are pulling up with America um, mm. later on in the show here because. I, I do seem to remember that, you know, yes, we have the Pluto return, but we also have, um, I believe this isn't the South node conjoining America's Saturn, which is the ruler of their second house. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I can, I can look into that, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that that sounds like what's happening. Yeah. But some I'm kind of release, right. Some kind of reduction, in our, you know, on our wealth or prosperity. Definitely. And, and I mean, the, the, the last thing that's really interesting um, about this is that we know that, you know, the algal, the symbol, some of the symbolism for algal is that algal represents the, the head of Medusa or the, the, the demon's head or it's the demon star. And oftentimes when there's a major algal, anything within the chart of within historical charts, we've seen beheadings and even um, what's his name, Jean-Baptiste Moran writing in the 17th century talks about how someone had something conjunct algal and that person got beheaded in France. And, and so we, we see this thing of, we, we have this energy of the loss of one's head, mm -hmm. essentially within this, within this eclipse. And from a, you know, I use Reggio Montana's houses because that's my own traditional astrological um, disposition to use Reg. And so this moon would essentially represent the government mm -hmm. because with cancer on the 10th house cuspy of the moon representing the government and with the moon conjunct algal, there's a sense of the loss of the head essentially. And so some of my meditations on this was, does that mean that the head of the government uh, gets lost as well? Mm -hmm. And interestingly, and this is my last point because I, I have, I've been thinking about this for a long time, sure. but but um, in in Hebrew, because I, I study Hebrew, I, I attend Hebrew college, and I just found out yesterday that that prime minister in Hebrew is Rosh Memshala, and Rosh, and Rosh Memshala, Rosh is the head, and Memshala is government. So, so literally with this moon being conjunct algal ruling the 10th house, which in mundane charge represents the government, I was wondering whether or not this has anything to do with the loss of the head of the government for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And last point, this is also conjunct, this eclipse is happening essentially in opposition to Joe Biden's natal sun, because Joe Biden's natal sun is also 27 degrees of Scorpio. So, I mean, there's so much going on. I know yeah. it's there's there's been concerns about his health or his mental health or things of that nature as well and um having an eclipse or some anything like this being so close to a personal planet like that definitely yeah. perks our astrologer eyes and ears up as far mm -hmm. as saying oh well we better we better keep an eye on this this particular situation over here mm -hmm. and you know for all of you out there in, in digital land if you have a personal planet uh, around these degrees of Scorpio, Taurus, or even of Leo and Aquarius, you're going to be feeling this quite a bit, as well as your angles. I mean, I think that a lot of times we see people with um, planets on, or, or these eclipses on the angles are really going to be felt quite significantly. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to add a couple uh, little nitty gritty details here. So one of the things that I'm seeing here is we've got uh, a couple different planets hosting this lunation. So we have Venus hosting the moon right now in the second decan of Capricorn. And we're seeing a trine between Venus and 
Uranus. So that is something that I think is important to, to point out, is we've got a Venus-Uranus trine um, that is the host of this moon. So second decan of Capricorn has to do with basically blueprints and building um, sort of the, the, the infrastructure of, of a government maybe, or of a, the, the physical structures of society. And we just passed a bill on infrastructure, or we're trying to, you know, I think that I, it's always confusing as to whether a bill's actually been passed because <laughs> it has to go through so many rubber stamps, you know, but um, I think that we're getting much closer to the actual infrastructure bill being rubber stamped. And that to me seems to be something that might reflect the, the Venus um, Uranus trine potentially uh, where we're trying to bring in some new new ways of dealing with our material resources uh, with, with Uranus in that second decan of Taurus. Um, I'm also seeing we've got the sun that is being hosted by um, Mars that just recently have, would have passed over in opposition with Uranus as well. So there's been, definitely been some contentions. Oh, there's my circle. I wanted, a, wanted an arrow. <laughs> <laughs> there's our opposition between Mars and Uranus that's just passed. Um, so I think those are those are two things. One thing I think that we'll be getting to later too is on the 22nd, a few days after this, I think the, the thing that is coming up with Mars to me is that Mars will be making its heliacal rise uh, outside of the beams of the sun on the 22nd of November. And basically what that means is Mars is moving outside of a 15 degree um, arc of separation from the sun and becoming visible again. And it's sort of this um, visibility of the new the new Mars cycle. Um, so I'd be I'd be real curious to hear your thoughts on that and how you see that playing out, Michael. Um, what do you think about the the synodic cycle of Mars here and how that might play into this this lunation cycle? You know what I think is really interesting with this uh, with this Spencer is yes we do have Mars essentially rising from under the beams of the sun and with this Mars essentially leading in terms of Mars will be the next planet to, to come to the horizon here. It, it further highlights the things that this Mars is representing within this chart. And those things take us once again to both the second house as well as the seventh house, because we know that Mars traditionally speaking rules Scorpio, which once again takes us back into this concept of the money, the finances, the wealth of the nation. And we see that this Mars has owned, this Mars has just separated from essentially being in a partile, a partile opposition to the Uranus, which you which you called on earlier, where you were speaking about the Venus Uranus. Yeah. And so we have a tight story being woven here between the Venus, which in this eclipse ruling the first house would rule the people of the country, mm -hmm. the, the Mars, which would be ruling the money of the country and ultimately the Uranus, which we know Uranus has no rulership of anything, but Uranus, which is operating in the means of essentially destabilizing the Mars. Now, for me, as well as for you, as well as for anyone who practices traditional astrology, we know that Mars and Scorpio is, a, is an extraordinarily strong placement for Mars to be in. And I mean, so I'm sorry for like being so, so like, mundane and earthly but as no, i look okay. as, as i as i look at this all i all i keep thinking about is is the financial market in in one regard and what you know what is occurring within the next three 
months or so and how that is a precursor for other greater financial feelings of oppression as we step into the Aries ingress for March 20th, 2022. And here we have this Mars, which is doing pretty good in the second house, but we also have the Mars. One of the traditional aphorisms for both the Sun and Mars in the second is that if the Sun and Mars are in the second house and ill-dignified there, it represents a loss of money. And it represents an over an overspending or extravagance in spending or something to that effect. And if yeah. if Mars is well dignified in the second, then it represents, you know, like any other good planet, the potential for strong financial income and strong revenue and, and a strengthening of the financial market. And here, this Mars would have been okay, save for the opposition to Uranus. And the opposition to Uranus, um, Mars Uranus from a Uranian perspective has to do with an impulsiveness of action. So I'm wondering whether or not there's an impulsiveness of action in terms of in terms of the government and how the government is dealing with money, because Mars Uranus also has to do with haste or prematurity of actions or a lack of balance. And then the other thing um, in there's a book that we use in Uranian astrology called the combination of stellar influences. Mm -hmm. Another thing that it says is that Mars Uranus represents a struggle for survival. Mm -hmm. So I'm really um, heightened as I think about those things and what that looks like financially. And then we all and then we also see the Mars having the square to the Jupiter as well. And Jupiter in relation to second house, well, it's actually closer the sun having a square to Jupiter in this eclipse. And um, Jupiter in relationship to the second house is usually good, but it can also go both ways because we know that Jupiter is also a symbol of extravagance. Mm -hmm. And so the sun having the sun squaring the Jupiter, Jupiter ruling the sixth house and all that um, just makes me wonder about um, extravagant, extravagant spending that is occurring in terms of in terms of possibly roads or highways or any of those things because jupiter rules the third house in this and from a mundane perspective the third house is roads and highways and means of travel and means of transportation and all of that and then it's also ruling the sixth house which is a house of stress so i'm just you know um wondering whether or not stress in terms of the building of new infrastructure literal roads and highways and that sort of thing ties into a feeling of the extravagance connected to the finances of the country in this coming eclipse. Yeah, I, I th definitely think it's possible because, I mean, we're living in the world of fiat currency where we're borrowing against nothing. <laughs> you know, that you keep doing that. You keep printing money out of the air, uh, out of nothing. Uh, eventually, there's a boomerang, like rubber band snapback. And you know, we, we are definitely printing a lot of money right now to pay for things mm -hmm. out of out of thin air so mm -hmm. that that is challenging um I, I thought it was really fascinating that you were talking about mars and uranus as as haste uh that's a really great uh, lead into some of the the daimons or spirits associated with the decans of these mm -hmm. two planets and i'm going to get rid of some of this junk here but when we um talk about the the decans of taurus three and Scorpio three, Taurus three's decan is the Litai. So in this in this particular area of the zodiac, we've got you know the seven of pentacles card, where we have a figure that's sort of leaning on his uh, his farming implement, maybe feeling depressed about 
whatever is growing or is not growing. One, I found a little tidbit that was interesting about this card. Uh, I came across this in T. Susan Chang's book, uh, 36 Secrets, is that she was talking about Pamela Coleman Smith, the, the artist that drew this card, uh, potentially might have been referencing the potato famine of the 1840s. Wow. And, you know, this, this card is Saturn ruled. It's a, it's a Saturn Deccan. And usually we think about Taurus as the, the growth period. And you touched on this earlier in our, in our talk that this area of Taurus is, is difficult. I mean, it is really maybe about contraction. I, I think of it as, you know, you've, you've made the plans, you've planted the seeds, you've had some growth, and now you're, you have the, the bugs or the plagues that are coming in to threaten what you've grown. And there's forces of nature that are, that are greater than all of us on some level that we need to um, be aware of. And the Litai were these, uh, they're basically the personified spirits of prayer. You know, Austin Kappa calls this deck in a string of prayer beads. And they were maidens or daughters of Zeus. And they basically were these hobbling old women that would follow behind eight and eight in mythology translates to ruin. And eight would run rashly ahead, like you were talking about with the Mars, Uranus opposition. And the Litai would follow behind, offering repentance through prayer. So they were the deliverers of repentant prayer to the Olympian gods. So I, I, I feel, now the other thing that I think about with this is, we've got the Litai, we've got a, a Deccan that is potentially about plague, ruin, things that are threatening our fertility. And we've got this sun in the Deccan of Scorpio that has to do with the Seven of Cups. And that diamond is Kairos, with the opportune moment. And I just did a really deep dive into Scorpio and those Deccans last weekend for this webinar. And really the, the, the takeaway I had from Scorpio 3 was there is a specific moment Kairos, where things are possible. But once that moment has passed, you know, not even Zeus himself is going to be able to, to capture that moment. Because you remember Kairos has a lock of hair coming off of his forehead that can only be caught from, from the front, not from behind. And I think that we are facing the necessity of returning old forms to the earth. And this this may be the culmination of a realization that we have to let go of these old ways of doing things, maybe even with infrastructure, because I don't know how much of this infrastructure is actually just building stuff for old systems that aren't, you know, I don't know, going to support us moving forward. I know that they talk about there's a lot of like green energy and climate change things in there, but I'm not sure how much of it is legit or, or what. I know that there's been a lot of compromises in that infrastructure bill for things like coal and, you know, all, all of that kind of stuff where we had the, the, the moderate Democrats that are saying, well, wait a second, what about our coal miners in West Virginia holding the whole thing up and having them have to redo it a number of times and take the, the teeth out of it as far as um, I think some of the really important changes for our, our earth are concerned. Mm -hmm. So I, I, it's, it's just fascinating to me that we have this, like you were talking about with Algol here, a place where we, the government might be losing their head. Uh, if, we, if we bring this back to the personal, 
I do think it's very important to keep your own composure around this period of time, uh, depending on where this falls in your chart, and recognize that some of the greatest ills and evils can be committed in service of trying to keep something alive that is no longer vital. Mm -hmm. And I told a story in my webinar about a cat that I really loved a few years ago that um, was very sick and had a kid kidney disease. And I just could not let go of this soulmate animal and went through all these really expensive like medical treatments. I learned how to give her intravenous fluids and kept her alive much longer than probably was good for her or for me when it probably would have been more humane to, to let her go. And it was, those are the kind of things that cause suffering with the sun in this decan of Scorpio. Mm -hmm. um, so I think I, I wanted to just make a point of that because I do think that a lot of the suffering that we may be experiencing is through trying to maintain the, this illusion of vitality. Um, one of the favorite things I have on this show, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this coming from the yogic perspective as well as I think that one of the challenges we have in Western civilization is that we have this, this uh, myth of uh, exponential growth where we have to have this growth all the time and we don't really uh, uh, honor the death process and the contraction process. And we've been going so hard with expansion that eventually the, you know, in, the, in the Tao, we're, we've, we've been planting the seed of its opposite for a long time, and that's going to snap back. And I'm curious if you have any meditations on, on that as far as what we're coming to with the, the Pluto return of America and like the, the return of whatever karma we've created this country under. <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a really great point, uh, Spencer. And, and just to touch on the tarot that you mentioned earlier, uh, with with the sun essentially in this in the deck and of or, or rather the the seven of the seven of cups the the name for the seven of cups from a tarot perspective is is illusionary success that's right. that's, that's the esoteric title for that and then the name of the of the seven of of the seven of of pentacles is also success unfulfilled and so I think that it's interesting that you brought up that you brought up those two cards because here we see on the one end illusionary success, and illusionary success is often fueled by us thinking that that every moment is there to be seized, mm -hmm. and that from a position of power is if we're looking at this chart and speaking about people in power, how people in power can oftentimes act impulsively because we we take this this term or this phrase carpe diem to feel as if every single day should be seized every single moment should be seized which actually is out of step with the realities of life you know life and 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 Taoism and also the Yi Jing teaches us that life is about moving forward in its appropriate season but also knowing how to move back within its appropriate season and that the wise person knows how to balance this interplay between moving forward and moving back so what I what I feel is really um, being highlighted at this time within this coming lunar eclipse is this thought that is this thought that through hasty action we we miss the point, yeah. and through hasty action we further put ourselves in the place of essentially being at war with ourselves 
and also at war with our own resources because we haven't we haven't really thought out the ramifications of our actions and that's we the collective sitting here watching this watching this podcast right now but also we the larger collective in terms of the country itself making decisions that have to do with resources and the fact that america has to a large degree always made decisions that have to do with resources and always made decisions based on these dreams of grandeur that right. haven't always been in step with nature right? <laughs> that's for sure <laughs> yeah. just yeah. the hubris in the face of nature <laughs> for mm-hmm. sure exactly and and you know another thing worth mentioning about the this yeah. lunar eclipse is that we have we have pluto essentially conjunct the ic within within this chart and you know that that pluto energy one of the one of the names of pluto was the infernal zeus mm-hmm. or zeus of the underworld and and so with having this pluto conjunct the ic you know pluto demands of us even when we feel as if we're in no position to give and i think that when we look at this chart in relationship to in relationship to the country in relationship to everything we have to be mindful that there are demands being made of us and the the sort of initiations and transformations that pluto ushers us through are things that we never fully feel prepared for and so one of the thoughts around pluto for myself is that pluto represents a forced initiation mm-hmm. And one would think that when it comes to initiation, we have more autonomy, as in we have the right to choose whether or not we want to be initiated or not. But when it comes to, when it comes to Pluto, that concept of rights kind of goes out the window, and that concept of you actually being able to decide whether you cross that uncomfortable threshold also goes out the window. And this is happening at the same time as this partial lunar eclipse, and it's impacting the land, and it's impacting the people, and it's impacting us, us in our home base, you know, Pluto IC. So I'm, 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 really, I'm really mindful that, that if we've sown seeds of, you know, destruction or calamity or, or what have you, then this lunar eclipse is really ushering in a period of us paying to the underworld what we owe the underworld. And sometimes that is something uh, much larger than anyone is actually prepared to pay. You know, the, the price of Pluto is always going to be much larger than any of us prepares, than any of us is prepared to pay, which often has us moving through periods that feel like an intense poverty or periods that feel like an intense starvation because Pluto essentially represents those things as well. Mm, there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> oh, there's a lot to unpack in that in those statements. Um, you know, one thing that that came up when you were reflecting. Uh, so, so first of all, this that decan of of Taurus being Saturn ruled. They, you know, my notes I wrote down humility before the elements, and you know, you were talking about like the. I don't know, the snapback of the natural forces. The other thing that was coming up when you were um, reflecting was the story of Areshkigal and Inanna Mm -hmm. um, that we sometimes as astrologers will connect with Pluto. Um, And just the fact that when Inanna is allowed to leave the underworld, she has to give something back. There's no leaving the underworld 
without um, having something take its place. So mm -hmm. like when Inanna was finally allowed to leave the underworld after, you know, her death and resurrection, um, she had to send her, her husband, Nurgle, or, or however you want to think of him, mm -hmm. in, in for not mourning her. And I, I just, I get the, the feeling in America in particular, we have built this great wealth on many horrific acts and tragedies. And there is a snapback that will come to that. You know, we've done it on the backs of forced labor. We've done it on the backs of, you know, other foreign countries and, and pillaging those resources. And those actions, they do have consequences. And I mean, you know, you and I are both students of fate, I think. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I think that every story that we study through myth shows that eventually, even if it doesn't look like it's happening in the moment, there, there is some sort of, I think, balancing action, uh, some kind of homeostasis that we're always kind of snapping back to, I think. I think the earth is, as an organism is trying to keep in homeostasis. And when we go to extremes, that's when the snapback comes. And I'm just very curious about the extremes we've gone to as a country in America and the repercussions that that will, that will yield eventually. And mm. it is, it's heavy. It's, it's, it's very heavy. Um, and I guess that being said, what, do you have any stock advice for us, Michael? What do we do with our money? <laughs> like, like is it crypto what do we what do we got here what do we do <laughs> like well well you know I, I have a i have a friend uh who who has some stocks and i'm, I'm gonna send them this episode to listen to because uh I, I i really think that we have to consider we have to you know in in the face of any sort of financial downturn and in my presentation on the pluto return the other day i spoke about something that was called the panic of 1857 mm -hmm. and the the chart the aries ingress chart under which the panic of 1857 occurred looked very much like the aries ingress chart that we're going into for march 20. do you want, do you want to pull that up michael is this a good point to pull um, that up yeah i mean I have to, yeah. So I, I'll I'll have to put them together. Um, but but I just I just want to say before I put them together, sure, sure. I, I can actually like multitask and do that at the same time. But um, so essentially, in that chart of the of the panic of eighteen fifty seven, we see a lot of the same themes coming up, and we see a lot of the same Pluto implications uh, coming up as well, where the it was this one insurance company, I think it was called Ohio Life Insurance Company, and they chose to withdraw their powers from the banks. And so the banks in New York closed down for two months, and that caused the entire world, that caused the entire America essentially to go into an uproar. The, the railroads stopped getting built, everything stopped, people lost jobs, farmers lost jobs, everyone lost everything yeah. during, the, during the panic of 1857. And and it came under these same sort of Plutonian uh, implications. And so, and so for me, I'm just aware of how I'm making money, but also what I'm doing with my money at this time and, and really making sure that I'm taking advantage of this time before we move into this coming uh, Aries ingress to not only save, but also 
see if I can diversify my own income streams because I definitely um, anticipated getting extraordinarily difficult in terms of the financial markets as we move into as we move into 2022 and and difficult in ways that actively um, feel oppressive to our own financial well-being. Uh, do, do you do you mind if I just pull up some stuff? Yeah, on? yeah. Go ahead. I'll stop my share here, and you you pull it up. Are you thinking that in, inflation is going to to disrupt the the currency itself? So you know, so I'm I'm going to show you. Let me show you what yeah, I um. See what you got. Yeah. So here we have the. Here we have the lunar eclipse that we're going into right now. And I mean, the Mars-Jupiter connection, as well as the Sun-Jupiter connection, are both connections of inflation. And they're both things of, of us spending too much and us investing too much, and also the government itself causing our monies to do far more work than it should be doing. Mm -hmm. And so those are some of the thoughts that's on my mind right now and looking at this. And also we have... Uh, the mercury ruling the mercury ruling the 12th house in the second house as well as well as ruling the ninth house so another one of my thoughts is how does america's interaction with its foreign affairs impact america's own financial well-being and how does the foreign affairs of america tie into essentially the self-undoing of the country as well um and through that self-undoing how does that self-undoing spill out into some of the some of the actual you know, financial and banks and the stock exchange and all of those things. Right. And I mean, at this point, everything that we see here is corroborating this, this message of going through a very difficult financial period. We have the Mars ruling the second in opposition to Uranus. We have the, we have the sun ruling the 11th, which is oftentimes the money of the government here within the, here within the second house, within range of the conjunction of the South node. We have the sun and the Mars having a square relationship to the, to the Jupiter, which has to do with spending extravagantly and spending without thought. So as we go around this chart, we see again and again, the same implications. And ultimately we also have the Pluto, the Pluto squaring the part of fortune conjunct the seventh house. And that has to do with our money also being tanked and money going into the underworld. And then ultimately if the Pluto is squaring the descendant, it's also squaring the ascendant. And so that also carries the implications of, um, of a hidden source of subterranean suffering that washes out into the public, into the public domain. And, and um, let me just show you the Aries ingress chart for March, uh, this coming March. So that's, that'll be this one, March 20th, 2022. Mm -hmm. And here we have the moon essentially ruling uh, the second house within this Aries ingress chart. And we have the moon at 29 degrees, 53 minutes of Libra. And the, you know, and from a horary perspective, we consider the range of 15 Libra to 15 Scorpio to be the via combusta. Yeah. And that doesn't actually have the same effect in mundane astrology. So even though it is technically the via combusta, we don't really bring that into consideration. However, the moon at the anoretic degree of Scorpio, at the anoretic degree of Libra in a square relationship to Pluto, which is also in the eighth house of the Washington DC Aries ingress chart with the moon ruling the second house of money, once again, feels like as a result of our financial speculation, moon in the fifth house, fifth house being, you know, a house of gambling and speculation, the gambling of the country, the speculation of the country, the gold mining of the country, 
and all of those things. So as a result of our financial speculation, we find ourselves and our money at our last gasp. The final degree of any sign really represents that planet on its last gasp. And so here we have the moon the, representing the money within this Aries ingress chart on its last gasp in a square, almost an exact partile square to Pluto from the eighth house of debt. And the moon is also squaring the part of fortune. And so it's just, it's just a whole slew of things that, um, that just has me kind of on the edge of my seat. But, and slash or, but the thing that really um, stands out to me in relation to the chart of 1857, where we have the panic of 1857 happening, is that in that chart, we also had Neptune and Mercury in Pisces in the 10th house, squaring the ascendant. Mm -hmm. And we have that exact same configuration here within this chart, the Neptune and the Mercury in Pisces squaring the ascendant. So, so Michael, tell us a little bit more about the Panic of 1857. What happened specifically during that period of time? In that period of time, uh, Spencer, and and can I can I actually pull up that chart? So sure. I yeah, yeah. Just uh, have that here. So I'm a I'm a diehard solifier. <laughs> so nice. uh, yeah. uh, let's see. So we'll pull up uh, March 20th. We'll pull up March 20th. Uh, 1857, and we'll cast it for Washington again. And let's just pull up the uh, Aries ingress chart for that year so that I could just have the two of them side by side. And then I'd also like to hear your thoughts on maybe how much time we have before some of these things mm -hmm. start hitting. Mm -hmm. So let me just do this. And then um, I just pulled up the declination table and then I'll pull those two charts up side by side. So, so basically, uh, like I said, Spencer, we have, so this is that one, 2022, and this is 1857. So it's a, it's a really different um, chart structure in a large, to a large degree. But what we have here that's similar is the, this is the 2022 one, the Mercury, the Neptune, squaring the Ascendant with the Jupiter. And here we have again the Mercury and the Neptune squaring the Ascendant. And the Jupiter in this chart is here in, is here in, in Aries, which is kind of like a non-factor to what I'm saying. But we also have the Moon here at 20 degrees of Capricorn also operating from the eighth house. So we have this airy moon eighth house connection um, in this chart. And we also have an airy moon eighth house connection in this chart as well, because the closest square that this moon is picking up is a square from that, um, from that, Oive, from that Pluto in the eighth house. So, so that's for me, what makes me feel as if these two things are comparable and as as if these two things have the effect that this could actually be a repeating of this theme. Um, and, and basically, like I said, in 1857, um, the insurance company that was, you know, the, the prevalent insurance company at the time chose to essentially close its doors, which had the repercussive effect of the banks in New York City also closing their doors and essentially shutting down for, I think it was a two-month period. Wow. And, and it completely caused the nation to, to tank basically, mm -hmm. and it caused, you know, the financial market crashed, the stocks crashed, everything crashed. Mm -hmm. And, 
And it was a two month period, which is good. You know, it didn't go longer than that, but it's it still left this mark on American history as being the panic, the thing, the notable thing that occurred in 1857 was this tanking of the financial of the financial sector. Mm. So I feel as if the loner eclipse, I'll, I'll just stop sharing, but I feel as if the, the loner eclipse that we're stepping into is a precursor um, for that because in the lunar eclipse that we're stepping into, we see this heavy financial situation unfolding already, and it, it doesn't look like a good one. I mean, anyone who has basic foundations of any astrology, seeing those configurations in relationship to the second and the eighth house, I think would feel as if um, it, it represents a downturn financially. Mm-hmm. And I even looked at the chart of Joe Biden, the chart that we think is his chart, which, which says that he's born at 8.30, which, you know, who knows if it says he's, it says, first of all, like who, who is really born at any 30? You know, I'm, I'm always a little bit skeptical when people have like a, a 8.30 or a nine o'clock or, you know, on the half hour or on the hour birth time. Sure. But if we, if we take his chart into consideration, he's also having a difficult financial year moving into 2022. If we take a look at this uh, solar return chart for this coming year, and usually the things that occur within a president's chart, as in his personal chart, he has no personal finances, save for the finances of the American people. And so the fact that his chart also corroborates him having a financial downturn is what I think ties into our own um, social social uh, thing on the horizon Hmm. so you think that this is a we're going to get a little taste of it at this eclipse and then the real fireworks are going to be starting at the aries ingress yes okay so so you heard it here first you've got four or five months (laughs) to diversify your income uh what where where if if we were clients of you michael and we and we were getting this advice what types of things could we do to mitigate some of these challenges and potentially uh, maybe come out a little bit less scathed than um, some other folks? That is a great question, Spencer. And I, I was giving um, I was giving this talk or having an interview the other evening with. Um, astrology hub and I I started talking about the practices that we have in our spirituality and one of the comments that someone made was you know like basically this guy is full of hot air because because you know I I spoke about some of the self-care things that we can do uh, and I didn't actually I think the person was expecting me to say you know you should stock up on beans or you should stock up on, (laughs) on, on 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 whatever and and truthfully, as I stand here in acknowledgement of everything that we've said uh, this evening, I personally don't really. Once again, the the the, Plut- the impact of Pluto is something where there's nothing you can do. It's you know, uh, when when we discovered Pluto in 1930. Uh, the Golden Dawn, the, the the Golden Dawn authors at the time, they automatically brought Pluto into it, representing or into it having some association with the with the Judgment card, and and the Judgment for, from an Aleister Crowley perspective is this new eon, and this birthing of a new eon by fire, and when we have Pluto, anything happening, 
there is this sense of stepping forward into the underworld and like Inanna, and there is this sense of having to strip naked and essentially stare death in the eye and possibly even die as a process of doing that um, before going through a rebirthing process. Mm -hmm. And so truthfully, I mean, ask me the same question in two weeks time and maybe I'll have um, a, a clearer sense of how to navigate this financially, but I'm, I'm really not sure what we can do in that sense, other than making sure that at this moment, you know how your savings are situated, uh, making sure at this moment, you know where some of your investments are, and if you could move some of those investments and have return on your investments from this moment now, like within the next few months, to really look at doing that. Because I think that when a nation goes through the sort of changes that we see coming up for America, uh, it impacts everyone. So even if you build your, your home as Fort Knox, it still impacts everyone because we're all a part of this nation. And definitely with the, with the moon conjunct Algol and this, this, this losing of one's head, but the moon representing the government and the losing of the head of the government and what that might look like, what are the ramifications of that? Um, I'm, I'm definitely sitting on the edge of my seat mm -hmm. to see if we are to have some massive shift within the structure of government, um, how that does automatically impact our financial well-being as well. Yeah. One, one thing I think I'll say is I think that we all need to not necessarily lose our head if something is, is uh, going down. Mm -hmm. And I think that I'm not a financial astrologer or like a financial expert, but I think that it is important to internalize uh, the changes that Michael is pointing towards, if I, if I were to say what I would be doing. Um, at the same time, panic isn't the, isn't the, uh, <laughs> that's not the way to respond to crisis. Mm -hmm. um, I think that, I think the third decan of Taurus gives us a clue um, how to deal with this and that's prayer and that's faith. And sometimes there generally are forces that are larger than us. And sometimes we just have to be patient. Um, we have to go slow. I think that it's not about like rushing around and being like, oh God, I got to sell everything. <laughs> you know? Diversifying is good. I, but I think, um, yeah, because I, the, the oracles that I, I uh, pulled for, for this lunation echo that statement as well. So there's a few things um, that I wanted to touch on. First, before we get to that, do, do you want to uh, look at maybe the, the, the last quarter a little bit, just briefly? Oh, yes, yes, please, please. I, I love that. Yeah, we'll talk about that very shortly here. Mm -hmm. um, so on the 27th, so as, as we go through this process, just first of all, here is the helical rising of Mars mm -hmm. on the 22nd of, of November. Um, so to really take a look at the, the Scorpio ruled uh, area of your chart and realize that there's probably something that's going to be revealed around that period of time. I've, I've seen lots of revelations in the, in the collective with helical risings and settings as well, like especially with like the helical setting of uh, Saturn, which actually occurred on January the 6th of this year, earlier this year, if that date sounds familiar, that was the capital insurrection. And then the inauguration happened on the, the Saturn Kazemi moment. And then files were, uh, or charges were filed against Donald Trump when Saturn made its helical rise. 
So there is definitely things in the collective to, to keep your eyes peeled for at that time. As we move forward to the uh, first quarter square, or I'm sorry, the last quarter square, this is on the 27th. And here we have, I'm going to, I'll just put it forward a little bit so we get to the exact square here. Okay, here's the, the square between the sun and the moon. Uh, these two decans, we've got the, the eight of uh, wands for the sun and the eight of pentacles for the moon. And I guess my big picture thought with this was we have a desire to take action with, with haste or with speed uh, related to the sun and the first decan of Sagittarius, but there is some sort of conflict with the, the skills needed or the details of the plan um, with the uh, ability to, to carry out whatever the enthusiasm we have um, motivating us. Like the spirit with, with Sagittarius 1 is loimos, the, the diamond of plagues. So it's like the contagious enthusiasm. Um, but, but really dealing with the, the, the microcosm versus the macrocosm here. What, what do you think? Anything else you want to add to, to this square here? Yeah, d definitely. You know, the Sagittarius, the first decan of Sagittarius um, is called the Lord of, sw of Swiftness mm -hmm. uh, from, uh, from a Kabbalistic tarot perspective. Mm -hmm. And we have the Mercury here as well with its conjunction to the sun right. and, and all of those things. And for me, I'm, I'm really mindful when I see this about our um our tendency to want to speed things up and our tendency to want to to rush forward at these times and there is a, ru a, a rushing energy in the air basically where people are going to be pushed into positions where they feel like rushing is the appropriate course of action at the moment um there's also the there's also the sextile from the venus and the mars which is a very passionate combination but it's also, I mean, that's just it. It's also a very passionate combination. So if you add passion to uh, to a, a speeding sort of swift energy, then you know we 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 tend to we tend to jumble things. You know, we, we tend to fumble things when we're rushing too much. So my only um, advice with this would be, if the air around you seems as if it's rushing, as if as if communications are rushing or as if people are rushing or as if actions and decisions are rushing and that's fueled by some deeper passion like you don't actually have to step forward into that highway you don't actually have to participate in that race and you could use that venus mars passion and really figure out things that you can do within yourself to improve yourself that take your energies more internal as opposed to external because if we use that passionate energy at this time in order to work on ourselves, you know, we have the moon in Virgo. So, I mean, what, what else will, will we do? We'll work on ourselves and, <laughs> and, and do our laundry and fold our clothes and sweep out the attic and balance our books and all of those things. You know, if we actually work on ourselves during this time, instead of rushing forward, um, I think that we could really utilize that energy and utilize that angst in a way that actually we're far more proud of mm. because also one of the things with the with the moon and virgo being tied into this entire thing is a sense of it, it gives us the collective ability to really focus on the things that are important and to really focus on the details of things and really put our nose to the to the ground and really stay stay you know stay in one course of action long enough to see that course of action bearing fruit and i think that that's 
the intrinsic message here for all of us that even as uh, energy is heightened within you, even as passion is heightened within you to go out and do more things because everything, the whole world seems on angst, you decide how to use that energy and you decide how to bring yourself within yourself and work on your own self-improvement. I love that. I love it. You know, I, there's always a way to to balance out the external um, mm -hmm. passion with, a, you know, some sort of inner peace. And I do, you know, the next day on the 28th here, we are going to see that Venus Kazemi going down. And maybe we do get some kind of new download potentially uh, for what our next passion potentially might be. Mm -hmm. um, that was one of the things that I was really meditating a lot on with Scorpio is the, the separation that Mars creates in Scorpio from spirit and body returns the old form to the earth, but also liberates the spirit to, be, to find a new chariot, to find a new vehicle. And maybe this is a moment where we're having some sort of existential crisis, which I think that we can think of with, with uh, last quarter moons, that lead us to a new insight that, that could be a new passion, that could be a new vehicle, that, that then we're going to be able to infuse into being at that new moon solar eclipse that we're going to be seeing shortly afterwards on the 4th. So if we move forward to that, just real quick, we don't have to necessarily go into detail with that because we'll, I'll do another live stream on that. But this is where, this is what this eclipse, this full moon is going to like, where we're going to get the restart again, the new energy. Whereas I feel like potentially the full moon eclipses, and maybe you have a different thought on this, but I, I see those as culminations and endings on some level. Mm -hmm. Although the moon is conjoining the north node in this eclipse. So it, I'm always a little confused on that when we have a full moon lunation that is north node centric. What do you, do you, do you have any thoughts on that? Any clarifications? You know, when it comes to, when it comes to the, the solar eclipse, the, the, a, a part of the lore is to think that the solar eclipse is a bit stronger than the lunar eclipse and that the solar eclipse is a lot more manifest. Mm -hmm. um than the lunar eclipse and so i definitely agree with you in terms of it being a culmination period and i think that's why we view eclipses in general as being you know a major starting and a major stopping or a major reset you know um i, I think i heard someone the other evening refer to it as a as a something router is there like a, a, a root root router yeah the wi-fi router unplugging it <laughs> right 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 essentially yeah and and so and so i feel like at this time you know the eclipses represent a time when the wi-fi is being shut off or there's a a, a rerouting or a redirection of energy occurring for the purpose of turning on something else or for the purpose of us stepping forward into something even bigger or another chapter of our own development. And so I, I think that the Mercury attached to this within the context of the within the context of the solar eclipse has to do with us, you know, stepping into wider spheres of information and us stepping into wider spheres of our own self-understanding. And that could be a very exciting thing, you know, and and maybe with this Mercury, um, with this, with this with this Mercury in conjunction with the new moon, we do come up with more exciting, newer, more stimulating ideas 
about ways how to diversify our presence in the world and about ways how to diversify our offerings in the world. And we find ourselves being stimulated at this time to do more and to see more and to explore more and to really open ourselves up to greater possibilities because a part of Mercury in Sagittarius, even though that is also the detriment of Mercury, it is this feeling of us being inundated with ideas mm. and many ideas. And it's up to the it's up to the stability of the person to know how to weave those ideas out so that they could really focus on the ones that make the most amount of success, that make the most amount of sense. So I think that everyone, you know, if you find yourself being inundated by ideas and by, you know, thought forms as we move into this solar eclipse that you really allow yourself not to run with all of them, but to really weave them out so that you can see which of those really holds the potential to hold your gold, your goal and your gold as we move, as we move into 2022. I love that. I love it. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think that this is like the last gasp of the, the nodes being in Gemini and Sagittarius as well. And I, you know, I think that one of the things I've observed is there is an increase in a need to be able to hold multiple perspectives and subsequently a need to decrease um, a knowing where we say, well, I know this and I'm sure about it. And maybe this is sort of the, the final, one of the final chapters of that where we have to say, well, maybe we don't know and we need to ask some questions and that can lead to some interesting insights as well um, as we move forward into this very interesting uh, time frame with uh, the North Node in uh, Taurus and the South Node in Scorpio. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, that's the astrology that we've got here. I've got a few oracular things if you want to discuss those. I'll just stop my share here. Um, so at the end of each show, and this has been wonderful, Michael, thank you. My goodness, you have our fountain of wisdom. So <laughs> this is so great. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I like what I like to do at the end of each each show is I like to um, pull an I Ching and uh, talk about an animal for for the for the lunation as just a another way to maybe get a another lens to look through. The animal that I pulled for this was the the lynx. And uh, my notes for the lynx was that the lynx is the possessor of ancient knowledge, um, that they are the mystics of the universe on some level, but the guardian of secrets. And the key with the lynx is using your the powers of your observation and your silence to become worthy of trust. Uh, that's one of the really important themes with lynx is you can know that something's coming or you can understand something that people have hidden you don't necessarily have to always do something about it. And maybe that is a good reminder for this podcast today, because maybe if you know that the financial markets are gonna get a little hairy, you, you, yes, you wanna take proper precautions, but maybe just being uh, objective, detached, you know, yeah. like the head of Medusa observers, yeah. rather than being completely cast about by the twists and turns of, of fortune and of material reality connecting to that inner spiritual center. I think that can really help to alleviate any of the suffering, not any, but some of the suffering potentially that we might experience. Um, have you had any experience with, with lynx or like the, that animal in particular? 
You know, it, it's interesting that you mentioned the links because when I was in the third grade, <laughs> I had a science project to put together and the animal that I had to do this project on was the lynx. Perfect. <laughs> do you remember uh, anything from your third grade science project, Michael? <laughs> well, well, I mean, the, the, observ the, the observation pieces is, is very strong. and I don't remember much from it, uh, but, but, you know, what I find about cats in general and anything that causes us to focus spiritually on the, 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 the spiritual message that cats bear is this is this thought of being deep observers and this thought of knowing when to act and this thought of being skillful in action you know yoga uh the bhagavad gita tells us that yoga is skill in action and i was watching this thing on youtube the other day about um someone put up all of their makeup containers and all of their markers on the floor and it really created an obstacle course and that their cat came out and their cat saw it and their cat skillfully walked over every single one of them without causing any one of them to drop. And then they brought out their dogs and then the dog saw it and then the dog started like running around trying to chase its own tail and like the dog went crazy. And then the dog tried to do a stealth thing and then half of the obstacle course dropped and then the dog just started moving and then everything dropped. And it was, it was really interesting to see that because what it what it feels like is that when we tap into cat energy, we tap into a skillfulness, we tap into a self-preservation, we tap into the ability to be able to move through the world and not be affected by the world. And I think that in everything, you know, if we live in an organic universe, we must be affected by our world. But I think that our spiritual practices, like you said, really allow us to create a greater sense of a buffer between ourselves and the storm going on around us because when the storm is going on around us we have the tendency of feeling that we have to be dragged into, into somebody else's storm or if they yeah. dragged into the storm of the nation when we really need to start becoming the architects of our own peace and tapping into our own peaceful technology in terms of our spiritual practices in terms of our oracular practices in terms of our astrology practices you know we have a technology of peace within the context of what we do. And we really need to rely on those things more and more as we move into the times to come. I love it. I love it. Uh, definitely speaking truth. Uh, and, the, you know, this leading into the I Ching reading that we have here as well, um, I pulled hexagram number 30, which a uh, number of different translations translate to radiance, interdependence, synergy, clarity, shedding light on things. It's a double fire hexagram um, enlightenment also so maybe there's a there's something that's going to be coming to light potentially at, at a at a full moon eclipse obviously mm -hmm. um there's th four changing lines here now I, i'd actually i'm curious to see how you deal with four changing lines i tend to read them from the bottom up uh do you have an, a, any other method or is that your method well, I mean, that's that's really, um, you know, standard I Ching method that if you because we build the hexagrams from the bottom up that we also read any of the changing lines from the bottom up as an evolutionary process of change that goes through the body of the hexagram itself. And so, yeah, I, I, I do it the exact same way. Perfect. So we've got hexagram number 30 that's going to be changing to the hexagram number three, which roughly translates to difficulty in the beginning, pushing up out of the ground, growing pains. Um, you know, experiencing birth birth pains and 
uh, it's time to, we may be having a difficult start, but eventually, eventually we'll get there. Uh, Line number three says, and this is a, the translation that I like is called The Laws of Change by Jack M. Balkin, who is a a Yale professor. I really enjoy that uh, that translation, although I have multiple that I I draw from. Uh, This one says, in the light of the setting sun, they either beat the pot and sing or loudly bewail the approach of old age, misfortune. So we have something ending at this eclipse, right? We talked about that with the Scorpio three and needing to release old forms. So something we've depended on in the past, maybe our material wealth, maybe coming to an end or going through some kind of change. It's important to accept change. This is the, this is the theme that was throughout all of these. Line number four says it comes suddenly, it burns up, dies out and is thrown away. And I think this is in reference to the the fire energy of number 30, where fire only lasts as long as it has fuel to burn. So maybe to pace yourself, you know, if you get some kind of like inspiration, uh, if you're if you're burning yourself out or burning the candle at both ends, you're not going to be able to to go the distance or go for the long haul. And then the line number five says, tears fall like heavy rain, sighing and lamenting, good fortune. Um, and Jack, Jack's translation was talking about coming to terms with the transitory nature of life. Again, accepting our new reality potentially. And then the last one I have here says, the king sends him out to attack. It is praiseworthy to execute the leaders, but only capture the followers, no blame. So, I, this seems to, to uh, play into what we were talking about, the head of the government on some level, right? Uh, it really reflects what you were talking about with that. Um, but my understanding of this, just in a general level, would be getting to the core of the problem of what we're experiencing. Like, the core of the problem, and maybe you can add your thoughts to this, I think the core of the problem is that we have some corrupt systems that need to be fixed. And we can talk about climate change and we can talk about everybody recycling and buying a hybrid car, but the big changes aren't going to actually happen unless the big corporations stop polluting, unless the big government systems actually put infrastructure or, or structural laws in place that will help us to move forward into our new, hopefully, uh, I don't know, more functional air consciousness of those Jupiter-Saturn elemental mm-hmm. conjunctions that we're being faced with now, correct? Mm-hmm. What, what do you think? What, what, how, how do you reflect on that uh, I Ching reading? What came up for you? I mean, what, I, I completely agree with where you, where you see that, uh, Spencer, in terms of, you know, everything from an Eastern perspective is about dealing with the core of a problem and getting to the, the root of the things that cause suffering and within yoga, we call them the things that darken the heart. So mm-hmm. they're, they're called the, the kleshas or the veils that darken the heart. And, and in the West, in Western culture, we tend to be superficial in terms of our approach to healing. And we tend to heal the surface and, you know, put a Band-Aid on it. You know, the Band-Aid is a very specifically Western uh, invention and it's a very specifically western concept that we that we patch something up with a band-aid and a pizza party and we don't actually address the larger systems of corruption within the workplace but you give people a pizza party you give people a band-aid and everybody stops talking about the issues 
And so I, I, I definitely believe that, you know, it's that this reading that you gave us is pointing to the heart of, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it feels like passing, even if it feels like giving birth from our own bodies and the pain associated with that, we have to be willing to do that deep sort of soul plunging work in order to really come to the core of the things that are broken collectively, but also the things that are broken within ourselves. And then from there, have these conversations about what it means to create a new world. But unless we're willing to do that, then all of these conversations, all of these conferences, all of these summits are really for naught because we really have to pay attention to how we are interacting with these growing pains and how we are participating with these growing pains so that we're not just closing our shutters and turning our back, but that we're actually staring you know, don't stare at the eclipse. <laughs> we're actually we're actually staring change in the eyes and being as uncomfortable as that makes us. Because I think a lot of the reason why we can continue to go ahead as if things of business as normal is because we don't really allow ourselves to stare discomfort in the eye and stay there for as long as it takes for us to realize that the change that we're seeking in the world also has to happen within us. Absolutely. Wow. Michael Bryan, everybody. <laughs> Thank you so much for your wisdom. I'm just uh, very, very happy that you've been able to join us today. Um, you know, a lot of the things that you were just reflecting on really remind me of that Inanna story again, where, you know, the way that the 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 mourners brought Inanna back to the surface from Areshkigal was just holding space for the pain that Areshkigal was going through, birthing pains, and mm. that's that's the Pluto archetype, right? And and that this really ties in the links, um, all of those things where we become observers of these cycles and of this pain, and sometimes we just have to sit with it and let it change us. And like you were saying, it like. We are participants in this. Sometimes we're participants from our consciousness as well, not just our physical actions. So being able to bring in your own sense of peace and your own center, instead of bringing in your chaos or your fear or, or whatnot, those things can help change the world as well. And you may think that you're just a tiny part of it, but I know we've been taught and we've been shown over the last few years, months, whatever, that we are all interconnected on some level and that when we add our consciousness to things that that can, that can make the changes that we're looking for as a collective and, and it's 100% necessary. So mm -hmm. Michael Bryan, everybody, everybody give him a hand in the chat box here. <laughs> like you're getting some hands here. We got some nice comments. Um, you know, Tarya says there was, this is Tarya from Finland. There was a lynx in her backyard yesterday, <laughs> which is amazing. Wow. I'm going to have to move to Finland. That sounds really <laughs> cool. Um, so yeah, we've had really some really interesting people commenting here. Thank you so much for everyone who has participated today. Um, make sure that you check out Michael at oraculosastrology.com. Uh, sign up for his classes check out his podcast, do a reading with him. I can't say enough good things about him. I, I'm a big fan and um, please support Michael. 
And if you want to support the work that I do here, the, the first thing that you can do is hit that like button, subscribe to the channel if you're new here. If you want to make a material donation to the work that I do, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com. Uh, and uh, we'll see you hopefully at the Decans of Sagittarius webinar on the 11th of December. All right, my friends, I think that's what I've got today. Uh, thanks again, Michael, for joining us. And uh, it's been it's been a pleasure for sure. Thank you so much, Spencer. I really had an amazing time being here. We should do more of this. We should we should we should have a conversation after this. So yes, for sure. All right, I would love that. We would definitely do it again. And um, that's what I've got. So so take care, everyone, and we'll we'll see you the next time. And and be kind to one another, and most of all, be kind to yourself as well. Take care. Peace.